hey everybody it's no driving gloves again and taking advantage of uh i guess some opportunities we've had of a global um, lockdown <laughs> well we're trying not to talk about that one um and Sean, jumping on the podcast, been really active in uh, gathering us some guests here for No Driving Gloves. Go ahead and give us an introduction, Sean, briefly of the guest, and then we'll have him do the typical request for two minutes, and usually takes 15 minutes, summary of what <laughs> <Absolutely>. you do. <laughs> Absolutely. Today, we have uh, Bill Riley of Riley Technologies, and Riley races everything, and Riley builds everything, and uh, you know Riley Technologies has recently been in the news uh, for something a little bit outside of motorsport and uh, they have switched some of their production over to, uh, I believe it's the production of masks. I could be completely wrong, but I know that you guys uh, have jumped into helping in uh, the fight with, you know, what we have going on with COVID-19 and that popped up on my newsfeed. And as soon as that popped up on my newsfeed, I was like, I haven't talked to Bill in a while. Um, let me go ahead and reach out and, and uh, see whether I can get you on the program and, and talk about that. But we want to talk about that and beyond. I mean, we want to talk about what's going on in motorsport over at Riley right now and, and you know, how you see things panning out for the rest of the year. But to start the show off, if, if you want to give us a two-ish minute synopsis of uh, who Bill Riley is and, and what you've been involved with, uh, with you and your father over the years and the various amazing things that you guys have done. And then we'll dig into what's going on right now. So thanks for coming on, Bill. I appreciate the opportunity to come on for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, a great opportunity to be on. And obviously we'd like to be a little busier right now. We all would, but you know, that's the way the world is right now, but we'll get through it. But, uh, you know, I'm Bill Riley. I own Riley Motorsports and Riley Technologies with my father, Bob. Um, he started racing in 1949, and at the age of five, I knew what I was going to do uh, my whole life is, uh, you know, be involved in racing on the design and, and uh, build side. So, you know, we started off in Detroit and moved to Indianapolis and then moved here to North Carolina and um, really built just about any kind of car there are. We've been heavily involved in NASCAR in the 90s. We've been heavily involved with uh, IndyCar and then um, more mostly known for sports car work. Uh, kind of seems to be our home where we always gravitate back to, you know, whether that's at uh, racing uh, cars for AMG currently and cars in Ferrari Challenge, or if that's for building our own cars, running our own programs, such as the Viper program that we did for SRT was probably the, probably the biggest one and the latest one we did. Yeah, there it is right behind you at Coda, yeah. I believe, um, which it won, which was good. So, uh, you know, it's always one of my favorite cars. It's the Viper just because of, uh, the people and all the people that were involved in it. And he got an SRT hat on too. And the people at SRT were so great. And that's made the program great. Absolutely. So, you know, we did obviously Daytona prototypes over the years before that, the Mark three before that Trans Am. So we've been involved in uh, almost every different form of road racing. Um, and then along with the other stuff that we do, we dabble in. And then of course we like doing different things and um, didn't really, really like the subject of why we we decided to get into the mass business or the I should say the, the you know papr business but um core uh group down in rock hill who morgan brady who runs core and they run obviously the porsches and imsa they have a side they have a their other or their main business you know is making uh miscellaneous things for all types of industries uh he he gave me a contact to someone that needed some help right away and uh, we jumped on uh, making a uh, pressurized uh, air respirator, and uh, it, okay. it's it's going pretty good. Going okay, pretty good. so it's it's much more in depth than what I, th I thought it was. Just uh, you you were making the masks. I I didn't realize you were making the entire respirator. So that's that's in depth. It, yeah, it's a uh, you know it's a um, you know a battery and a, and a filter system. You know, HEPA filter, and then right. the uh, working on the right motor size, working on the right battery size to make sure it'll last a shift in the hospital. And then um, working on the helmet and the visor and, uh, you know, everything that goes along with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to speak for, you know, the entire world, but, uh, you know, I, I think the entire world would probably step up and say companies that are doing what you guys are doing and uh, basically taking a part of your operation and rededicating it to helping in that fight. Um, it's something yeah. that it is appreciated across the board. You don't have to be 
a motorsport fan, you don't have to know who Riley Technologies is or, or who you and your dad are to appreciate that. So, um, you know, on behalf of a vast swath <laughs> of people, thanks for doing what you're doing. Um, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool to see a company that has dedicated its entire being basically to construction and prototyping creation, you know, and, and, and running all sorts of motorsport getting involved in that. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's a neat thing. And that, that is yeah. why I, that's why I got in touch. Um, I said, I didn't want to dwell on it because quite honestly, we, we just want to have some fun and make folks happy. Um, if do you want to switch gears or is there more to that story well, that I'm not letting you tell? I mean, right, right, right now we've switched, you know, all the engineering design and, um, prototype manufacturing over to it. Uh, but I kind of feel that, you know, hopefully this will be over soon and hopefully we can all get back to the normal way we've lived. But obviously I think it's going to be all a little different. And I'm kind of thinking more that this might be something more for in two years when another issue comes up or four years or 10 years right. that, you know, that we have something for and uh, more for everyone, not just yeah, for people on the front lines. You know? We definitely we were- need to get out in front of it. Sorry, John. Sorry. I was going to say, well, we, we hear of all the big companies, you know, Ford's made yeah. news and GM's made news. And it's what's interesting. And, and of course, Sean and I and everybody involved with the podcast, you know, our news feeds focus on automobiles and automobile companies and racing right. and such. So I'm seeing a lot of shops like yours, the smaller shops, the smaller businesses, not these mega billion dollar businesses revamping a whole business plan. Now, yes, some of it's for income. There's no doubt about that. But some of it is just the the need and the ability. And, you you know, it's nice to see some people stepping up. You know, I've seen some people create some, quote, new products that might actually have existed for years in different industries, and they don't realize it. But, (laughs) um, you know, I just want to say it it was wonderful that Sean was able to uh, contact you and get you on the show. And I, you know, love promoting some of the stuff, everybody, you know, a lot of people think cars are evil and racing's evil and yeah. all we do is burn gas and pollute, but we're a lot more than that. And everybody talks about the need for racing and technology and somehow we get a disconnect, you know, what does an indie car do or what do your prototype cars do that relates back to the real world? And here it is, is within three or four weeks, you're tooling up and you're manufacturing or getting ready to manufacture products to help in you know the pandemic and that's all i'll dwell on it tonight yeah i I kind of uh you know when people talk about motorsports and you know in in this day and age uh you know and obviously we're burning a lot of fossil fuels and all that type of thing uh the way i kind of always look at it with people is that uh i I don't think you're going to find a harder group of people working on fuel mileage on a sunday afternoon than racers because you know 50% 50% of these races are fuel mileage, you know, trying to stretch our, our windows, trying to get one more lap. You know, at Road Atlanta last year with the AMG, we were one lap short after 10, 10 hours of uh, really pushing our fuel economy. So I think that from, from that point of view, there there's a lot that racing can contribute back because, you know, everybody's working on fuel economy on the weekends so and no one else in the world really is. Right. And here's, here's tangent number one. Um, I, I wasn't thinking, even thinking about going down that road, Bill, but when you as an engineer are trying to tackle that problem of, um, don't care whether it's a a little four cylinder turbo or a big V10, uh, I think what was it? The, the GT three R Viper was what? An eight point four liter. Eight was was it the eight four or was it the eight? I thought they destroked the, the, the GTSR. Uh, the LM car was an eight liter and the GT3R was an 8.4. Okay. So you got, I mean, you've, you've crossed the gambit as far as engine size and all, all of that good stuff. But how do you as an engineer sit down and try to figure out the problem of, of fuel saving when it's literally a game of how fast can you go and how much of a lap, are you know are your drivers holding that throttle wide open because that's where your speed come from comes from so yeah. uh, how do you, how do you do it how do you- well the, you know most of our programs the uh, engine calibrators are, are top as they are with every program that's racing you know whether it's our our AMG program or some of our competition so the engines usually are running pretty much at their limit 
So a lot of it comes to uh, how the driver can save fuel and in, in us on the data side, the data engineers looking at how we did it to translate it to the other drivers so we can save fuel that way. That's probably, you know, the, actually the style is a big way of saving fuel because we already kind of do everything else, you know, the low friction bearings, obviously the aero work, the engine calibration, you know, getting all, all the uh, drivetrain to the right temp. We kind of do all of those things. But then uh, when it comes down to really saving fuel, it's it's what can the drivers do. And for example, uh, your own bleaker mullen is one of the top at saving fuel and still being able to do a decent lap time. Yeah, so it's it comes down to, once you put the car on the track, it comes down to where does the driver roll out of the throttle? How does the driver roll out of the throttle? Exactly. How does he get yeah. back to get back to power, you know, as he goes, right. as he goes through the apex. Um, from an engine management standpoint, and these, these are the things, like, I, where I'm trying to go here is how all of that technology comes together and then gets translated back to a road car, to a car that someone could put in their own garage. Um, one of the things that I've always said is one of the primary functions of racing is to provide a test bed for OEs to yeah. further te- to further technology. So, where do you see like your your aero work and your your engine management work and those high friction bearing technologies that you use? Have you had direct impact um, on manufacturer programs as a result of that stuff? That you, that you I'm made? sure I'm sure over the years uh, it has drifted back and forth a bit, but probably the the biggest program you know that we can all relate to that does a lot of that is the Corvette program of Pratt Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, they they really work back and forth with Chevrolet a lot on on transfer of knowledge and uh, transfer of ideas to improve both the race car and the street car. And obviously, it shows you know on how on how uh, how good that team and the car is. Yeah, and how good the the current generation cars are yes. as they as they right. evolve over time. Definitely, I d- yep. I was just wondering if if you had much impact with the Viper program because I, I think the the Gen Five was kind of it was more evolved by the time you got your hands on it. Correct, but the yeah the GT cars. Was, I think that the uh, the Viper program within Chrysler was a little bit isolated from the production car. We had we had really good production car people we could pull from mm-hmm. uh, if we had issues or when we had issues. Um, and, and obviously, they were always jumping up and down to help. But, you know, that program, when you look at it, that program was uh, two and a half years into it, you know, when it got uh, stopped. Yeah. And the Corvette program was at, on year 21. Right. Right? No, actually, right. before that, they're on year 23 because they started in 97. So they're in year 23 right now. So it's quite a bit different, you know, uh, yeah. looking at looking at each way. But I would say the, the SRT engineers, uh, there were several that were heavily involved, like Matt uh, Benarowitz and, um, you know, Gary Johnson was a program manager and Russ Rubicelli and, and Dick Winkles, who uh, was in charge of the engines, they were heavily involved. Um, and then if we had an issue, like let's say if we had an AC issue, they would they would get the right AC guy to call us or come down right away to sort it out. So it, it was a pretty good program, but it didn't really uh, just because of the length of time of the program didn't go the other way as much. That makes sense. That makes sense. And more, more Corvettes are built every year than Vipers had been yeah. built in total. So yeah, yeah exactly. That, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Um, as far as the transition from from Viper to Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the, the parallels between those cars and what are the, the massive differences? If you can, if you can speak to that a little bit, like I, well, um, when you look at the Viper, the Viper program, that, that was really designed in the uh, spring of 2012 and the AMG was quite a bit later. So the generation of the race car was quite a bit different uh, between the two, you know, f- about a five year gap. Right. So the, the AMG, um, went farther on aero items than we could on the Viper because of the, of the rules at the time. Um, the AMG is extremely reliable. Um, it's not quite as um, robust as the Viper. You know, uh, you know, the Viper was all we always joked about it because you know it was a bit like Ronnie Dangerfield and Caddyshack. You know, like hey, you scratch my anchor. You know, it's one of those kind of cars. <laughs> right. While the AMG is a bit more uh, fragile, right. but the AMG is durable. I mean, it'll, it'll run forever. Um, unless you hit something so it's kind of a, a different mix but 
the people at AFG, you know, we walked into a program, Ben Keating and I, and, you know, in the car, just one Nürburgring to 24 hour when we yeah. decided to go that way. And um, so, you know, you're getting a car that, you know, if it went to 24 hours of Nürburgring, you know, but that's, that's pretty brutal. Right. So um, we were get we got a pretty good car and, some people don't believe me when I tell them this, but one of the AMGs, I can't remember what year it was. Um, we got our race car. We leave for Daytona on Monday for the race week, you know, drive down from Charlotte. We received the car on Thursday, the four days before we were supposed to leave for the race, for the 24 hours Daytona. And we were able to take Sunday off. That's how good those cars are when you get them from AMG. Right. They are really good. And when we ran the car at Daytona, um, during the 24 hour, we didn't open the hood, you know, like it didn't have any issues. Wow. Like they're really good race cars. It's, and the GT4 cars the same way. I talked to Ben during the 24 and, and he was saying that, that he was astounded by the reliability too. So oh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, that's a monster machine. It's definitely a monster yep. machine. It's, um, one thing that I've always want, go ahead, John. Sorry. I was going to say, we're, well, since we're talking about the AMG GT, amg gt here and you know i've not, i've got a couple friends that are owners of the, the road cars the gt and the gtr how i want to jump in just to put this in a perspective that i'm going to say the real world can understand but you know we're talking still real world quarter million dollar cars uh the difference between your gt4 car and the the gtr because the gtr compared to the standard gt you know road car is amazingly quicker i mean it's i can't remember four or five seconds faster on the uh, nurburgring than the standard road car when we jump into the gt4 and that obviously you're saying you know mechanically are they really any different or are you are we saying that a car that's competing in the 24 hours daytona translates right back to the road car there and will give you a you know german reliable race car is that something you can even get into or touch yeah, I, I mean, we'll talk about the GT3 car, um, you know, but the GT3 car, the AMG, you know, it uses the old the older V8 engine, a normally aspirated engine, and it uses, you know, a, a Hewland uh, transaxle dog ring box with paddle shift, and it uses about half the suspension components are stock, or, you know, they change the rubber out for sphericals, so it's kind of like... Um, kind of halfway between a road car and a street car while the Viper was way the other way. The Viper was almost all race car. Right. You know, it had to use a production frame. So um, it's hard to say. It's pretty far away from a street car. The GT3 car is. The GT4 car, though, um, is pretty close to the street car, but it does use, use the same uh, fuel and transaxle. Is the three car doing a lot of uh, a lot of suspension geometry changes? And, and Yeah. Or does it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just you you can never tell with with today's cars, you know. I mean, it, it's they're getting so good with their street yeah. versions these days that it it kind of makes me wonder when we're going to see or if we're going to see. And this is something that I definitely want to pick your brain on: Are we going to see a shift back towards not necessarily showroom stock by any means? I mean, GT cars are are going to be GT cars, but we keep seeing. GT1 was the rocket ship and then GT2 came along and they slotted in below and then all of a sudden they're running faster times than the, than the GT1 cars. GT3 came in as the slot below GT2 and now GT3 cars are basically up to about the same if not a little bit quicker lap time than GT1 yeah. but was you know a decade ago. Um, are we ever going to see in your opinion a return to I guess I, I want to say more affordable, high-level professional racing, where you don't have to go in and affect so much change to be competitive to a car, uh, I, a body in white, basically. I think the GT4 car is kind of at the right limit. Um, you know, you need you need to have a certain amount of race car in it for it to work. You know, you need to have the right gearbox. The 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 AMG. Um, I think the GT four car goes 30,000 miles between engine rebuilds, mm -hmm. which is pretty good. That's pretty strong. Uh, yeah. And then when you look at like, let's say if you look at a, a TCR car, that's probably the next level. 
but you know they're still expensive too just because of all the race car they have to be put into they're them. incredibly expensive cars to buy um, and, and it's justifiable on how much stuff you have to do to them so uh cost wise um so it's kind of like to me the gt4 car and the tcr cars are the right showroom stock level you know if you could call it that otherwise you know the problem is you know if you get like let's say uh uh, you know, a streetcar, whether it's a Mustang or what have you, and you start to gut it and you start to put in a roll cage. Now all the all the electronics are messed up. So you have to put in all all electro all new electronics in it, you know, because it you're stripping the car out and it doesn't like that. Yeah. Now you're all of a sudden you, you get that you're right up to the two hundred thousand dollar number before you even know it. You know, and that's why a GT four car is kind of the right car. Gotcha. So uh- you don't think we're ever going to go back to a, a Firehawk type series or something no. along well, those lines? Or well, th- there is a, a series, and it's called and it's called Champ Car, and and that's that's the level that, that's there that you know that anybody can participate in and and and, and do it. Champ Car, World Endurance, American Endurance, um, right? All those series, and I've been I, I've actually been saying for a couple of years now that. I think American Endurance or maybe, I mean, Champ Car might even be able to do it. Um, rise up to be where Pirelli World Challenge was five or six years ago. Um, yeah, I'm not, I, I, I only, I stay, I stay pretty loyal to Champ Car. Yeah. Um, so I haven't done the other two to comment, but I do, you know, stay pretty heavily involved in Champ Car uh, and, and enjoy that quite a bit. It's it's great racing, and yeah. what's what's really amazing to me is it's great racing that most of the world doesn't know about. You know, if if you're yeah. outside of motorsport, um, and you mention Champ Car, they wouldn't even know that Champ Car existed alongside IndyCar, much less the ch- the current version of Champ Car that we have, which sort of evolved out of the 24 Hours of Lemons, and then. Yeah. The- the more serious side of the 24 hours of lemons. And now you see, you know, folks showing up to champ car events with proper race cars. I mean, they're, they're yeah. no longer low budget race cars. I mean, like I, I have a friend who fields a couple of SC 400, I think Lexus yeah. that are basically completely gutted from the ground up, rebuilt as race cars, super dry. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I can't help but think and, and, this is where I really want to want to pick your brain. Is there a want from the casual race fan to see more of the cars that they could go out and actually buy at the pro level? Or is the pro level the place where the casual race fan wants to go and go, Oh my God, that's amazing. And like stare at a prototype or the GT three AMGs and, and all of the, the current GT three field. Like I'm torn between that. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I, I, I kind of think that we're, we're there. Like I said, with GT four, I don't know if you can get much cheaper than that and still have a good solid race car platform. Um, that, that kind of seems to be, I don't want to say the lowest level. It's kind of, you know, fun with the champ car, uh, and, or lemons, you know, you go to those races and you see these cars and it's always, Oh, my mom had one of those, or right. I had one of those, or I That's crashed exactly one of where those I was in high going. school, yeah. you know? And so it's fun. And, um, typically you have, you know, a group of friends that you're driving with. So like for me, I don't, I don't fish and I don't bowl and I don't hunt, but I have a good group of people that we go to the champ car races with and we in, enjoy going you know and sometimes the wives and girlfriends come and sometimes they don't so you know it's but if we have it's a good it's a good grassroots kind of thing to do you know if not the best in my opinion it's serious enough yeah to where you you get your your competitive juices flowing but it's oh yeah for sure it's not so serious that when you look at the car you're like if if anything happens to this no you know yeah yeah it's yeah it's yeah, it's it's a totally different a totally different feeling, and I, I I get that. I mean, we yeah we have a couple cars in the garage right now that that one of them is is a lemons car, one of them could be a champ car, but yeah, unfortunately, we have the the world's most powerful three hundred five and a Camaro Mustang Challenge Z twenty eight. I don't know why one of the guys that I own it with decided that he we blew the three hundred five that was in it up. And then he sent it off to his ex cup engine builder 
and we got back a 13 to 1 305 bill. Yeah, there you go. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with it? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Literally, it's a track day car now. It's not a race car anymore. There's, It's a car with no home. Um, I guess that's a good way to segue into what are the race cars that you've, you personally have gotten to drive over the years that you loved? What are the ones you hated? And then we'll, we'll circle into the, uh, what do you have in your garage right now that makes you happy? Okay. Well, I, I don't, I used to drive, drive a little bit more. I mean, I used to race go-karts, um, race. I went all the way up to 250 super carts and raced across the U.S. Huh? The, the Enduras, the lay down ones? Yeah. Yeah, the kind of ones that are halfway, you know, they had a wane and all that. And then when my uh, when my son was born um, in early 2002, I stopped because it was a bit too dangerous, you know, to have to have a small family. <laughs> so, so, so I, uh, I so I raced carts for a while, and then I, I had a Mark III, um, the Daytona winning Mark III from '96, and I tested that a few times. Um, then obviously it got to a point where like you know I need to sell this because it's a pretty big asset to have around. You know, worth you don't want to have your your race car worth more than your house. You know, so it was a bit was a bit off. So I had to get rid of that and uh, or got rid of that. And I, I was driving for some people, and uh, I was getting ready to get into a car for a guy. Uh, we were at Daytona, and uh, you know, one of the crew guys asked him, "Hey, you know, what happens if uh, if Bill wrecks his car?" You know, and uh, the car owner at the time said, "Oh, it's not a big deal. He'll just." Uh, fix it for me or give me a, a discount on a new Daytona prototype. And I kind of had to go, whoa, 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 <laughs> you know, build a driver or build a halfway driver and build a race car builder are two different bills. You know, th- there's no transition, right. you know, from uh, the business side to me wrecking the race car he asked me to drive. So I kind of got out, out of it a little bit, but driving that Mark three, uh, the one that had the Oldsmobile Aurora engine in it. Uh, so it didn't have a lot of torque. I had a lot of horsepower. It, it was really a, a nice car to drive, like crazy nice. And people come up to me and tell me that have driven Mark III's in anger, tell me that that was the best race car they ever drove. And and I, it really was a good car. Um, recently, I, I got I was able to drive a um, a super performance GT40 Mark II um, okay. at a test, but unfortunately, I, I hurt the clutch. I hurt the clutch. So. Um, uh, the test was fairly shortened because of that, but that was a cool car to drive just because, you know, here's this, you know, Ford GT Mark II, you know, it was a, it was a, a GT40 Mark II. It was a fun car to drive. So kind of driven a, a little bit of everything, I guess. Um, I drove a Daytona prototype a little bit, but not, not a whole lot. Um, but, you know, so I kind of gravitated more towards chump car just because I never didn't get scared if I was going to get hurt in a car, not hurt. I didn't get scared of financially getting hurt if the car wrecked. And that was a bit more relieved for me to do. To do. It's always, it, it feels a lot better to drive a car that you know you can walk away from. If, yeah. It, if, it might be your fault. It might be a mechanical. It might be someone else's fault. But you need to know yeah. in the back of your mind that you're going to be able to eat tomorrow <laughs> if, yeah. if, if a, whatever you're racing is. is I, had a, a vintage, I had a guy one time, Buddy Bennett who races, has a big vintage company now, told me one time that, uh, you know, if you race, if you're a driver owner, you need to be, you know, uh, emotionally and financially ready to leave your race car at the racetrack sometime because eventually you're going to have to leave the car there. Like if it's not coming home. So yeah, that kind of, that's a tone to what you, what you need to, what level you need to be at. That makes perfect sense. It makes yeah. perfect sense. So, John, is, do you have anything you want to add there, or do you want me to? Well, I was going to get into to try to take it a little bit for our more casual listener in looking at the you know, Riley website, Riley Technology website, excuse me, and get into a little bit of, you know, kind of what you offer, because I'm a more of a background guy. I, I don't get into cars. I don't, I mean, well get into race cars i don't really say yes you do uh <laughs> and mainly for the last statement you made um i don't make enough money to to race um mm-hmm. it's i want to win and i don't make enough money to win i can get out there and probably drive around the track or autocross yeah. or whatever and be fine but i want to win and i don't have that kind of time or money but when we get into the the riley technology website you know you've it's it's offering you know assistance and customer racing it's offering 
uh, classic race car re- restoration, and you had some pretty cool cars highlighted there. Yeah, you know, designing the AC units for race cars, and you know, mm-hmm. okay, surprise, there's AC in race cars. Yeah, you know, and the 3D printing and water jets, and you know, personally, I'm into CNCs and 3D printing is uh, alternative from cars. And yeah. can can you tell us a little bit about um, some of these? functions of Riley technologies that obviously relate back to race cars, but you know, what are, you know, what are we doing with this? I mean, I fully understand the benefits of a water jet. Didn't understand it when I walked into my previous job and after being around a, um, you know, a same size water jet you have for 10 years, I still want to get one for the house. I just can't afford a a water jet for the house. Yeah. Yeah. I love, uh, uh, people make fun of me about how much I love the water jet. And, uh, you know, so it's just a big, you know, for people who don't know, it's just a big table, you know, probably, I don't know, let's say eight feet by 20 feet. And uh, you lay the metal or material, whatever you want to cut on it. And it'll just, the water pressure along with the, the sand or the granite would, what goes ahead and cuts some, cuts some material. So it cuts, we cut, um, we have a friend that makes jewelry. So we cut, things for her for her jewelry business all the way up to two inch thick steel and everything in between uh, you know and it just it can cut something faster than anything else and then you start designing around it upstairs in the drawing office you know you start drawing all your parts to kind of clip together and just be welded up so it, it works out it works out really well it's a, it's a great tool yeah it's, hey, one of the lotus restorations i did we had to fabricate engine mounts and when you looked at them in the two-dimensional form they look like some sort of medieval weaponry. And yeah. once they're all folded, they make these nice little J's and right. and such. And the water jet that we had, and of course we did tours because I, I was in a very public building and facility. It, it's amazing. You know, we could cut up to six inch steel on ours. Very rarely yeah. did we, you know, we two inch and you'd show the people the granite and the, the steel you cut. And then we had this always uh, eighth inch thick or quarter inch thick, spiraled piece of glass where it's gentle enough to cut glass without shattering it so it kind of is an amazing tool and you know i understand you know it seems all the hobbyists are getting into um plasma tables but there's really a difference between a water jet and a plasma table and the way it treats the material and i i never liked the plasma and everybody tries to talk me out of it or talk me into it but, uh, you know, my fabricators don't like it because, you know, the edge of the metal you have to, you have to weld on, you know, it's not, it's not great. So, right. you know, we're always trying to do more uh, aircraft-style work on our, on our fabricating parts. So the, the metal has to be perfect all the time. So and that's why we stick with the water jet. So you, uh, you said you're doing some jewelry for a friend. Is that a friend or are you guys – or is Riley Technologies available for small oh. scale production oh. work or small scale design? Or, but well, well, we charge her <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah, yeah we charge her. Yeah, well, that's, that's not a problem. We're sure um, it's not complimentary, but no, 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 no. But she's uh, actually she's my wife's uh, yoga instructor, and she's a good friend. So uh, yeah, but you know, we we do all kinds of things. We do. Uh, we did a job for a group that was 30,000 parts and we do a job for her, which is, you know, a bunch of uh, small parts out of copper. So we do, uh, you do a wide variety of stuff and it's, and we do, a, we do a lot of brake pads, oddly enough. You know, if you have a brake pad material and it's not the right shape, uh, we go ahead and water jet it into the right shape. So we do a lot of that also. So it's just amazing. And, you know, we have other, our other parts of our business, our composite group is pretty diverse and we do a lot of different things there. Uh, a lot of things within the industry, and it's on the WeatherTech uh, website. But if you buy a carbon fiber license plate frame from WeatherTech, it comes from our facility. We build all those here, you know, in Mooresville, North Carolina. So you know, anything from a license plate frame all the way to uh, to prototype tubs, we do it all. Interesting. Yeah. Have our, I got a latest, couple? Yeah. Have I got a couple CAD files for you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk we after. Couple, okay. We have a couple, like uh, the composite shop, some people might be interested in this that are into racing, but we just did a a set of body molds for the front engine GTP car, Mustang GTP car from 1983. We're restoring one of those cars here, a carbon tubbed car from 1983. Uh, The first sports car that was a carbon tubbed. 
And uh, so we're doing a full restoration on that for a group. And uh, we just made a new set of body molds for that. Is that the one that's on your webpage, the 06 car? Or yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is an evil, evil machine. Um, yeah. In yeah, the best cool. ways, that thing is yeah. Yeah, that's bonkers. Um, it's fun. Uh, it's what else, what else do you guys have going on? John, John brought it up the classic car restoration side. Yeah. You, you're doing the GTP car right now. Do you uh, have really? this? Is it concurrent? Do you have a bunch of projects going on and, and yep. what have you guys yeah. worked on over the years? I, I didn't even realize that was part of rally technologies business. Well, t- typically we like to do cars that we were heavily involved with. So we have a Mark three we're restoring. We have a, uh, Paul Newman's Trans Am Mustang that we did for Paul, where we finished a rebody on that for a customer. Um, doing a Ferrari Challenge car for somebody, an older Ferrari Challenge car. And uh, we have a reproduction Greenwood Corvette that we're, you know, getting ready to uh, go racing whenever we go racing again. So which, generation, to, which generation Greenwood? It's 76. Oh, wow. Wow. So yeah. I, I, I saw, the, saw, saw the Greenwood on your website, and I just always love that. Greenwood, oh yeah wide body kit and that uh, there's a it's jerry's a corvettes in chillicothe illinois I had one for all my high school life and beyond and i don't know yeah. if it's still there jerry's is still there jerry's not but jerry's is and you know, yeah that funky yeah, so wide body <laughs> so that's a that's a really cool car and um you know so my father was involved with the greenwoods on that car for sure uh you know so and actually bert greenwood uh, gave us some of the original drawings that Bob did of that car in 1973. So we're, uh, you know, checking some of the, some things on that. But that's always the best conversation piece, you know, because it's a big block Chevrolet and it doesn't have any mufflers on it. Uh, you know, it's just straight out. The exhaust goes straight out right at the middle of the door there. And uh, whenever, you know, someone who's kind of into racing or not kind of, someone who's not too much into racing comes to the shop, you say, oh, you ever heard a really loud car before? And they're like, oh, yeah. So we fire that monster up, you know, and it just, uh, and it, you know, just shakes the building. It's it's great. What are, if if you know off the top of your head, I don't want to put you on the spot. Do you know what the specs are as far as what kind of power it's putting down and what um, it weighs and, and things like that? Because that yeah, is just a monster. That, that's fair. The engine in it's fairly mild. Um, I think... Uh, it's probably at 750 horsepower. Fairly mild. Fairly mild for a okay. big block Chevrolet. And then I think it weighs right at uh, 2,700 pounds, 2,600 pounds. It has all the tire in the world underneath. Yeah. It. That's, yeah, that is that's, a cool, cool machine. That's the biggest tires that were made at the time. Uh, that's why it has those tires on it. What are those? Like, they look like 435s or 535s. Uh, they're just... Well, they're, they're, they're 17 massive. inches. They're 17 inches. I mean, I think they're 18 inches wide. Okay. Yeah, Huge. so they're they're big. That's almost a Flintstone tire on the back of that yeah. car. That almost goes all the way across. Yeah, this, the front is small, though, in comparison. So it's a bit of a different setup on the car, but it's got a big rear tire, that's for sure. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, while I'm on this screen, I'm going to switch over to uh, the Mustang. Yeah. And... Uh, that Mustang is – it's a GTP car from what era, Bill? And That's 1983. 83. What's yeah. the power plant in that, in that thing? That had a four-cylinder turbo, and that was kind of the issue with that car. Is they had a, a lot of engine reliability issues. It won its first race, um, but then it always had engine failures after that. I don't even know if it finished the race. It had just engine failure after engine failure. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, but, I, was it based off the two three turbos that Ford no, was using in that no, era, or it was, was based off the one one point six liter Cosworth? Oh, okay, okay, that yeah. makes more so sense. It was a small, and then I don't know. On that picture, you can't really. I don't think I see him, but you know, Gary Pratt was the lead fabricator on that car. Okay. So that's my father and Gary Pratt worked together. You know, quite a you know, basically for my whole life. Uh, I think they started on the Greenwood Corvettes, and. Um, so they've always worked together, uh, you know, until the split. But uh, anyway, Gary's been a longtime family friend. I don't know if he likes me or not, but it's a longtime family friend. Why would he not like you, Bill? It, it's perfect. Do you know Gary? He's kind of he's kind of tough to read a little bit. Yeah, uh, so. there, there are a lot of folks out there like that. Yeah, true. I'm just kidding. Gary's a great guy. <laughs> I'm going to keep going down the line just because there, yeah. there are a lot of folks that probably don't know 
uh, the cars that Riley's been involved with over the years. And yeah. one that I have up on the screen right now, I'm going to let you tell folks what it is and, and, and yeah. what the car is all about. Well, that's a, that's a Mark III right there. We built um, 22 of those over a year span from, let's say, 95 to 99. And our main competition was a 333 Ferrari. And, um, you know, it was kind of a deal. We won Daytona three times. They won Daytona once. They won Daytona or Sebring twice or three times. We won Sebring once. So we kind of went back and forth and traded wins and championships all during that era. And it was really a great time. Uh, the Ferrari engine was great, uh, you know, tons of power. And we had cars powered by Chevrolet, Fords, and Oldsmobiles and, uh, and up against them. And then we ran that actual car was our team car. We ran out of a shop, and Wayne Taylor was the lead driver on that. And that's um, it's an open cockpit prototype for those of you that are just listening to, yeah. the, to the audio. Uh, ran extensively in uh, you ran that in the ALMS and Rolex, correct? Yeah, I mean, it ran. Um, I mean, back then it was IMSA. I mean, if you look at the in front of the rear tire, it's IMSA, but you know, 95, 96, 97, that was all IMSA. But that car, that was you know, um. 650 horsepower and 1900 pounds and a 16 inch wide rear tire uh they had their flat bottom cars and uh, it was really reborn out of the gtp era to get costs out of the cars so you know we would sell those cars with no engine for around 300,000 at the time mm -hmm. uh, that was in the mid 90s so it was pretty affordable to go race for an overall win you know and, and but it was a it was really just a great time and we took it to lamar a few times also how did it run at Le Mans? It's it's a beautiful car. I'm just it's it looks yeah. to be a little shorter. Is it a little shorter wheelbase than what would typically um, go to Le Mans? Or, or was no, it it's pretty much it's a hundred hundred and ten inch wheelbase. Okay, it was fairly long at the time. Okay. Uh, it looked short just because we cut the back off for drag. Um, you know that was a more efficient way to do it. But that that car was fair at Le Mans. We didn't have enough time in development to go to Le Mans. We didn't have enough uh, development. Uh, arrow wise because we decided to go to Lamar in victory lane at Sebring. Okay. Um, believe it or not. So we, <laughs> All right. We, we need won. to get into that story. <laughs> yeah. Dig, dig and, deeper there. Yeah. So we won Daytona with that car. Um, and then we won Sebring with that car. And when we were in, in victory lane at Sebring, um, you know, I don't know who, but somebody started chanting Lamar because we're going to go for the triple crown, which, you know, has never been done. And, uh, so everybody was chanting Lamar, and um, I was a team manager at the time. Mark Scott was a crew chief. My dad was the engineer. And um, I got back, uh, and Mark and I looked at the rules real quick, and um, the entry was due, I think, like on Tuesday after Sebring. So we uh, sent our entry in, and all of a sudden now we're going to Lamar. And, and they, uh, they I think accepted the, you immediately. Yeah. I think that's, not normal, all, that's not normal either. No. I think, well, no, back then we had to pre-qualify. Okay. So they accepted us to go to pre-qualifying. Okay. Um, which is another story. So then we uh, we entered Le Mans, uh, talked to all our partners at Oldsmobile and Danka and, and Pirelli, and we got the budget to got the budget together. And then uh, we realized with pre-qualifying that we need another car because there's a race between pre-qualifying and Le Mans. So we had to build another car to to uh, race in America. A lightweight car so we we shipped the winning car over to Le Mans and built another car to do the sprint races while we're in Le Mans oh my god so it, yeah it was a lot of work that um, was a little bit more than that more than that $150 Le Mans entry fee uh, yeah it was a bit more than 150 <laughs> but I think at, the, at that time I think I was the youngest uh the youngest entrant at Le Mans and I was I think I was age 27 when we put the entry in so that, that was kind of cool um but, you know, we went to Le Mans. Le Mans was a great, it was a great experience. Um, we broke a gearbox uh, halfway through. I kind of, in our trophy room, I have a, I have a, the Daytona trophy, I have the Seaman trophy, and I have the pinion from Le Mans, you know, next to it. So almost got a triple crown. I, you know, you, get, you bring back what you can bring back. It, yeah, hard, exactly. Hardware is hardware, sir. Yeah, um, but it was a lot of fun. How many, how many times have you, have you guys been to Le Mans over the years? With cars? Uh, it's yeah, hard to yeah, say because yeah, sometimes I, I go um, as a consultant. Sometimes I go uh, for meetings, and then sometimes it's the whole team. Like we're going, you know. So I'd say reading cars, we actually ran there maybe ten times. Okay. Over the years, ninety six being the first year. 
Okay. And then, uh, you know, then recently with the Ford GT this last year. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Or unless you, you, unless you want to talk about that. Yeah, right? I'm okay to talk about any question okay. you have on it, I can answer. I, you know, I, I was, I came unglued. I've, I've known Ben uh, for, for a while now too. And um, on the edge of my seat at the end of that race. And oh, yeah was so I mean I was jumping up and down in my living room the way you guys were jumping up and down in, in the in the pits. I mean yeah. I was just so happy. Um what happened? What I, I, I mean I've read the stories but yeah. how did it how did it get to where where it was and and how did it unfold to where you know it, it got taken well, away? It's it's kind of uh you know we weren't the quickest car so we know we're gonna have to push it to win. And we didn't really, Ganassi was huge amount of help. We couldn't have done it without them. And they were, we were pitted next to them. Uh, this is, a, you know, the group out of, uh, out of North Carolina, out of Indianapolis. And, and the WEC team was helpful too, whenever we need anything. But uh, huge amount of help. And, you know, they're very strict about fueling. They're very strict on this. And we never really did a super accurate pump out. We did it with all our stuff. Um, and we were real close. We're like, okay, we're close on that. And then on the refueling time, okay, we're close on refueling time. We should be okay. And, um, you know, would you know it in the race, we were just a hair too quick on fuel. And I think we we're 0.4 seconds, over 45 seconds, we we're 0.4 too fast. And we just were pushing the envelope too far. It was it so, like, like, it was yeah. so minimal. Yeah. But we and weren't, I, but there's one, like, there's two kinds of cheating. There's like pushing the envelope of the existing rules, like being underweight, carrying too much fuel. Refueling too fast, those kind of things. Then there's like cheating, cheating, like oh we, you know, change the camshafts in the engine, or we, you know, mix our own fuel, or this or that. Now that's that's blatant, yeah. like we know we're cheating. So yeah. we just pushed the envelope too far. So at the end of the race, um, it takes six and a half liters to do a lap at Le Mans with that car, and we were uh, 0.3 liters too big on capacity. So. Okay. But you know, the, the car that was leading the WEC championship, they finished second to us. And Ford didn't uh, pull out of the WEC championship, uh, not real super gracefully. And um, so it was just a bad – it was an eerie feeling the whole month. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it was just a bit weird. So, um, I, I'm a Lotus guy and been a yeah. Lotus guy for years, as many of our listeners know. I'm not sure you know. And of <laughs> All of a sudden, I jump back to, and I'm a conspiracy theorist at times, you know, Chapman got disqualified from Lamar back in 56 or 57 because, maybe no, what was it with the 23? It might have been with the 23, so it would have been like 62, because the rear wheels had six lugs and the front wheels had four lugs, and it was a way to get him out of the race. Right. Think there's any of that little French? We don't want an American to win this again type deal, or do you think Uh, all those politics uh, are 50 years in the past? It wasn't too much against the Americans, I don't think. Um, But but it 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 was a different feeling. I mean, we were we were in tech for 32 hours, um, which is a long time. I I remember reading that. I remember reading that, and I remember reading that when when it came out that. The margins were so close. Yeah. There's, there's part of me that's like, it's so close. You know, how could you possibly take that away? And then there's the racer side of me that understands that a rule is a rule. Um, rule is a rule. You know, I, I, I get it from both perspectives, but I will say this. And for the folks that are listening that, that don't fully understand what we're talking about, um, Bill and the team and Ben Keating and all of the drivers and everybody that's involved uh, – you basically uh, had your Le Mans victory um, taken away in scrutineering yeah. after the race. Yeah, we got disqualified. Um, we got disqualified. Yeah. Right. You know. Right. So, so it, it didn't. Was there was there a little bit of thought to to keep or to try to keep running the the Ford GT after that? Or oh yeah, um, yeah. I think Ben would probably be a better person to talk about that, but. Uh, ben, you know, the, the uh, you know, my, my father was a Ford employee. You know, my father worked on the GT40 Mark II as a Mark IV as a car craft. I didn't know that. I, I've, I'm a Ford guy. You know, deep down, you know, I, I grew up as a Ford kid. 
You know, I, I was born in Dearborn, Michigan. I'm a Ford kid, you know? Gotcha. I, uh, and so running a Ford at Lamont was fairly, you know, that was pretty fun for me because, you know, here, you know, here we are where my father was, you know, in 66, you know? Um, but I, uh, I think that Ford was kind of, was ready to put a bookend on the Ford uh, GT program. They're ready to stop it. And um, I think Ben tried quite a few different avenues to, to do something all, which would be, he would still, even if they said, okay, he, you know, we'd have to, we'd have to think about it because it's not affordable, you know, it's not an right. affordable car. Right. And um, so it, uh, it just didn't work out. I think both financially and I think Ford was ready to, put a book in in that project. And if they're ready to pull the plug on what up to then had been a factory supported program. And like you yeah. said, make it cost prohibitive. It does make yeah. sense to switch over to something like a customer based AMG. Yeah. GT3. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say how much more affordable a customer based Porsche is than a Ford GT, but it's a lot. Yeah. I was, yeah. It's a lot. Order, orders of magnitude. Oh yeah. Dollars. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's a lot. Yeah, it's, and of course, Ben, you know, running up, running well in that championship right now, and and all that, so that you know, I'm I'm sure he's going to be fine. I and I hope so, and and we should have Ben on. I I think we're going to have Ben on next week, actually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, look, definitely looking forward to that, and and continuing bits and pieces of this of this conversation. Um, yeah, it wasn't fun. I I was the one that had to call him, so it was not it was not fun of them all. I can't imagine. I, I, just, I can't imagine. I I mean. I'm outside looking in and that was heartbroken for you guys. I cannot yeah. imagine you know, going from that level of high to, Oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. Yeah. Um, with where, with where we're at right now, I don't think we've really touched on this. Um, how do you see us getting back to racing, man? Like, do, do you, are you guys, do you have a plan in place or, or I, I imagine it's, an, it's just like endurance race strategy. It's an ever evolving plan right now. So. Yeah. Is there well, like, anything though that you you see outside looking in or inside looking in right now that tells you that we're going to get back to racing sometime in 2020 or is it a 2021? I, I think it? I think we'll get back. I, I think we'll get back. Um, who knows what that'll actually look like? Who knows right. if there's spectator events or non-spectator events? I don't right. know, but I think we'll get back. And I, I'm kind of looking off in the distance. I'm looking at my wall calendar, and I, I think. You know, obviously we have Watkins Glen at the end of June. Hopefully we'll be able to hit that. Um, I don't know about Mossport the next weekend because of, you know, I think that they're a bit more on lockdown in Canada than they are here in the U.S. Yeah. And and I don't know if they want a bunch of, you know, people coming over. And then at the same, then, then, you know, then you have Lime Rock and you have Road America. But I imagine sometime, you know, hopefully June, July, or August we'll be racing. I mean, maybe it's an abbreviated schedule or maybe it's a full schedule. But I think IMSA wants to get back to the track. Mm-hmm. All the teams want to get back to the track when it's safe and when everybody's safe and when this is all over. You know, but I think we're all ready to get back to the track. Now, you and I know IMSA will go back to the track as soon as it's safe for everyone. Right. Now, you said there you don't know if it's going to be a partial schedule or a full schedule. Do you even remotely conceive of IMSA all of a sudden saying, hey, you know, we're going to pick up the six races or the four races we missed from the spring and we're going to throw them on the calendar? And is that obviously that's going to make you as a, a team and a team support company um, busier than you've ever been in your life, or is that even a conceivable thing? Or well, it, it is a little bit. I mean, right now uh, Detroit's gone, and that's the only one that hasn't been replaced yet. Um, so we're, we're just going to see well Detroit and Long Beach. So right now everything else is still there, but yeah, we're going to be it's going to be a busy fall. Like exact right now. It, a lot of the race team is taking all their time off because they it is a time to take time off and it is time for uh, to rest up because the fall is going to be a tough one. So you're going to literally have to go back to your NASCAR days and figure out how yeah. to turn cars around in in a week or exactly. in, well, in both, four days. Both both AMG programs, the uh, GS program and the GTD program, both have backup cars, okay. so or second cars, whatever you okay. want to call it. All right. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I can't wait to see that happen. I, I just can't wait to see the return to the to, to the real tracks. And yeah. now that I've said the return to the real tracks, um, have you been involved with, or or are you are you thinking about getting involved with the whole iRacing 
hop on the simulator. Uh, do you ever do? Do you ever hop in to iRacing? No, I, I'd have to spend too too much time on a on a sim to get good. You That's know, right. I'd have to spend a lot of time to get to get. You know, I don't want to even say respectable to get not made fun of. It's a so, different world. It's totally it's a different it, world. It is, yeah, but, it's a different world. You know, I'm I'm busy. You know, like you know, we're busy uh, making this system for the medical system. I right. I have uh, I kind of have I don't want to say an agenda, but I already have a lot of things I do outside of work and racing, mm-hmm. and I don't have time to go sit in the sim uh, for a couple hours a night to get good. Right. Um, you know, I have whether I'm prepping uh, the car for the champ car race in the evenings or working on a new champ car. I'm working on a Cobra at home. I'm, uh, I have a really good group of neighbors that I spend a lot of time with on the lake. So it's kind of like I'm fairly busy uh, outside of uh, outside of my desk. Are you busier now than before all this started to happen? Because um, I am actually busier today than I was six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. It's crazy. I, I, I would say there's a bit of a gun to our head on the mask, you yeah. know, because it's kind of like trying to make a deadline for a race with a car that's not built yet. Right. But there's, there's a bit of a deadline on that. But um, my, I'm able to take a little bit more time off. I took actually three days off for Easter, which I usually don't do. So right. I, I can take some more time off. But we're trying to minimize the amount of people here, but still have the mass program going strong. So it's a bit of a, you know, you're juggling. It's a different world. It just sense. basically sounds like, you know, I'm in the same boat. Sean's in the same boat. You, and you just submitted to it too you've chosen as opposed to treat this as a vacation is to treat this as an, you know, kind of an opportunity to take, you know, the mask obviously is something that came up because of the situation, but to take the yeah. opportunity to expand what you're doing or improve on what you're doing or research or branch out to a couple of things. You know, we've had, yeah. we had, we had Tom Cotter, the author on a couple of weeks ago when he started writing a book on Porsche that he hasn't yet to sign the deal on, but he said, when am I going to get this kind of time uninterrupted to sit down and write? Exactly. So he, he was four or five weeks and I can't remember how many pages into this book. I think a hundred thousand words or something. And, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't have a commitment, for it yet. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but you know, taking advantage. And I, like I said, I'm doing the same thing. Sean's business launched right at the beginning of this and is, yeah. um, um, is actually that's, that's not scary at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's busy. So, yeah, speaking of, speaking of Tom Cotter, last last question. We've had you for about an hour. You mentioned the Cobra. Tom Cotter has the the Cobra in the barn. Uh, in the barn, right? Um, yeah. You have a Cobra in the garage. It sounds like so. Is yeah. is that your current favorite car that you have at your house that you're that you're working on, or or what's, what's the deal with the Cobra? Uh, what, I, I what, what is it? Like just I, I picked I picked up a, a kit that was sitting for a long time. Okay. And and I and I always have to it's kinda of like my therapy. I have a I have an old Ford F two fifty, which you know we call a therapy truck, you know, because it's always as Ben Keating says, it, it has more problems than a runover dog. Like it's like everything's wrong. It's an eighty six bull nose, you know, so it's kind of cool. And it's like um, Bill, I'll sell you a new one. I'll make you a good deal I, on a new he, one. He sold me a new uh I have a new Ram 3500 uh, that I really like. There you go. And uh, so he sold me that um, right before the virus. So, uh, so I have a new truck. I have an old truck, then the Cobra, then then chump cars after that. So that's, fair, that's fair your therapy outside of Rally Technologies and the customer racing programs and everything. That's rare. Like most well, most folks that work in that in in the field that that you're in. Yeah don't want to go home and touch a car. A lot, a lot of them don't anyway. So that's well, kind of well, cool remember, to hear that. Remember though, like when I'm at work, Riley Tech, you know, from seven to six, whatever the time is, seven to five, um, I don't touch cars. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm working on stuff or talking with customers or working on programs or, gotcha. you know, making sure things are going well. I don't really get involved too much in the actual hands-on stuff. So when okay. I'm at home, you know, I have, I have a tool, I have, I have my Snap-on tools from you know from when I was twenty still, and I I just piddle in the garage. I'm not the. It's not like this Cobra is going to be done the fastest amount of time of any Cobra ever built. I just take my time and tinker with it. You know, and it has a has a big 428 in it FE, so it's it's cool to be working on all that old stuff. So it's fun. It sounds yep. like fun. It sounds yeah. like fun. I, I 
Again, thank you for your time, Bill. I, I, no, no had, it doesn't seem like we've had you for an hour, but we've had you for an hour. Um, no, no problem. Is there anything that you want to add to this, Mr. Viviani? No, I, you know, I learned a lot. Frankly, when Sean emailed me a couple of days ago and said we were having you on, I knew Riley. I knew, you know, the, the race chassis and that. I, you know, I followed him since the 90s. I've always been more of a sports car guy than an open yeah. road guy, uh, NASCAR guy. So I had an idea. And, of course, I, I researched some and I've learned a lot. You know, it's great to see you doing what you're doing for the situation we're in. Um, so I, yeah, I really don't have any questions. I just kind of sat here as Sean has done with some of the interviews and the people I drag on going, eh, you, you end up learning a little bit. That's why I think the multi-person interviews are great. But. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you asked about our next race, but hopefully our next race is uh, Memorial day weekend at Watkins Glen with the, with the chump, with a champ car. Hopefully that'll be the next, uh, our next big race. Are you still so. running the probe? No, we have a Pro's we have gone. a Camaro. Okay. Yeah, we have a Camaro that we run. A um, it's actually an old Ace sedan car um, okay. that we converted over. So we run that, and then we're working on some other stuff. So hopefully, we can get some other stuff to the track soon. It was very nice to have you on the show, Bill. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and and say thank you for coming. Thank everyone for following along with No Driving Gloves. Um, things are definitely exploding on No Driving Gloves. I mean, we're we're we're, we're busy. John, myself, Derek, and Will, we're very busy making this thing work. Don't go anywhere, Bill, because I'm going to shut this thing down and say thank you to our audience, but I want to I talk to you just for a okay. after we shut it down. Sounds good. John, thanks yeah. for doing this midday, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, hey, no problem. We do it when we can. Again, like Sean said, no driving gloves, uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, excuse me, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, nodrivinggloves.com. Um, I think you can look up if you want to see uh, Riley. It's RileyTech.com, if I believe is your website, if you yep. want to uh, kind of see some of the stuff these guys are playing with. Uh, maybe get some jewelry or something to cut out on the water sure. jet. Jewelry <laughs> or brake pads, let us know. Yep. We're going to talk about something other than jewelry and brake pads for the water jet in just a second. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> so th thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Thank you all.